What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Well, our next guest is all in the state of Kentucky. We've got an undergraduate degree from the University of Kentucky, Wildcats, MBA from the University of Louisville, the Cardinals. I don't know who he roots for uh, during hoop season. Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst for Baird Wealth Management. Ross, Louisville plays Kentucky. Who do you root for? Uh, it's, it's Kentucky, a hundred times out of Kentucky, hundred times out of a hundred. All right, close. See, that's uh, strong. Yeah. That's strong. Yeah. yeah, they got some strong uh, support there, dude. For the UK. I met Rick Pitino when I was a kid. Yeah, uh, looking at UK. Really? Yeah. How'd that go? It was awesome. I mean, I w <laughs> I was an Ohio State fan, obviously, but uh, love Kentucky, love yeah, going down stuff. to Lexington, and uh, yeah. Hey Ross, what do you make of this thirty-year bond? It's two point seven nine percent. I thought we were just at like three point three, three point four. What's going on in the bond market? What's that telling us? Uh, growth scare, right? It's telling us that the market is finally uh, convinced that the Fed is. Um, going to do whatever it takes, and increasingly that looks like uh, you know some sort of recession. Whether it's mild or not uh, is up for debate. But I think there's you know you talk, you talk about copper, talk about treasury yields, talk about other industrial metals. All of them are reflecting um, increased odds of a of a recession and of a of a big growth turndown. So I, I think that's that's what it is. And at the same time, you know, increasing odds that because of that we can kind of you know defeat this inflation uh, you know within the next. 12 months or so. I was looking, uh, we've been talking about the Michael Burry tweet. I don't know if you saw it um, yesterday, but he said, basically, the first half was awful. S&P down 25%, NASDAQ down 35%, Bitcoin down 65%. He says, that was, in, at least in terms of stocks, multiple compression. Next up is earnings compression. So he says, maybe we're halfway there. Now, to be fair, he calls himself Cassandra. He's a little bit dramatic about this kind of thing. But um, how much... Do you think earnings will be hit? Well, you don't get movies made about you if you're not a little bit dramatic, I guess. Um, <laughs> True. You know, I, I think earnings will take a hit, right? So currently, I think I think the 2023 estimate for S and P 500 earnings is still something like 250, uh, which is which is 10 percent ish growth. Um, at a minimum, if you're looking at even a minor recession or economic slowdown, that probably has to be flat or slightly down. You know, the average recession earnings contraction is, is like 20 percent plus uh, on the on the downside, usually or on average. So, you know, even if you saw something like five, 10, 15 percent, you know, kind of earnings contraction in the next year, um, that would be meaningful versus where estimates are now. You're starting to see kind of one by one, uh, you know, companies come out with guidance that's a little bit lower, a little bit more hesitant. But I think as we get into this this next earnings season, you'll start to see it. Um, kind of in mass and the question would just be is it is it 10 percent downside or is it 30 percent downside what are they seeing in real time as far as the consumer goes as far as investment goes um 
because I, I think that's the big question, right? Consumers held up pretty well, but there's there's a lot of pressure. Right. I mean, uh, Lisa Shallot from Morgan Stanley was saying, you know, this kind of inflation-driven recession isn't going to be as bad as the kind of credit-driven recession that we had in 2008, and that was a profit decline of 57%. So she says, we're not likely to see anything that bad, but I just wonder if stocks can get hit as hard. We're down 25%. Can we really fall 50% by the end of this thing? I, I think a lot of the pain is priced in. I think there's, I think earnings pain is already priced into stocks. Now, estimates still have to come down, but you know, I, I think the market is sniffing that out ahead of time. You know, I, I think there could be a further leg down, but I, I, w- I would be surprised if there were that big of a sell-off for the reason that you mentioned. It's, you know, there's nothing seemingly systemic that's wrong. Um, you know, big valuation compression, obviously, and inflation is hitting you know the consumer and companies in all sorts of ways, but. Um, we're still in a pretty decent position as far as profitability, as far as earnings. You know, profit margins are rolling over, but they're still elevated. The consumer is strained, but you still have that couple trillion in aggregate savings. Um, wage growth is still there. The job market is still white hot. So one of the things we've been talking about is, you know, recessions don't always look like the last two. They don't always look like 08 and the coronavirus crash where GDP falls off a cliff things are catastrophic. There's a history of much more kind of mild recessions. um, And I think that's probably what we're headed for, given the the starting point. Ross, what's the question you're getting most often from your Baird Wealth Management clients? You know, at at this point, and I think it's reflective of the past few sell-offs and bear markets have really been V-shaped in nature. And this one is much more grinding, already a couple head fake bear market rallies. So the biggest question is, when does this when does this end? Where's the bottom? And, you know, obviously that's a, a borderline impossible question to answer, but given that there's still probably some some earnings pain to come, given that we haven't really seen the kind of capitulation that you'd want to see out of stocks, you know, at, at the top, um, mentioning that the VIX was still sub thirty, you know, when the market's in a bear market is is pretty wild. Yep. Um, you just haven't seen that capitulation. So they want to know where the bottom is. But the reality is that bear markets outside of the kind of QE era are are much longer. You know, it's 12, 18 month processes. And so that's what we're getting folks accustomed with is, is kind of setting that expectation that this could be a longer slog, um, you know, much like maybe a dot com bubble right. or some of the, the sell offs of the past. All right, Ross. Good stuff. Appreciate you taking the time here on a Friday before July 4th. Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst for Baird Wealth Management, BA, University of Kentucky, MBA from Louisville. That's a good basketball rivalry down there. You ever been to Kentucky? I have. Great. Bowling Green. I'm a big fan of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Matt, you bring in Katie. I have no idea what's going on with her story here. Well, here's the deal. I mean, she's in our studio. Katie Greifeld, Cross Asset yes. Reporter, is in our studio. She's and got by the way, story. Cross Asset Reporter, uh, I don't even think it does her justice. Okay. She is an absolute expert at the world of ETFs. She also knows what she's talking about when it comes to crypto. Really? She's got like 75,000 followers on Twitter. And um, 3,000. Thank she's you. She's just much. generally a markets news hound. Okay. Wow. Now, nice. I hope my boss is listening. This <laughs> no, is great. No, everybody's here, at the beach. Here's the, the deal, though. Listening. Even dummies like me and Paul know that. It has been a bad time for bonds. Mm. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. Investors that normally thought, oh, this is where I go for safety are now thinking, where in the hell can I go, right? And what you're saying is a lot of them have chosen ETFs. A lot of them have chosen ETFs. So this is something that always happens. You have sort of this moment in markets and ETF issuers rush to capture it. So the current shiny object among ETF issuers right now is income ETF. So the strategies vary a little bit, but in all of them, at least the most recent filings, it seems to be that either these funds invest in equities that offer dividends, or they write some sort of call writing strategy on the S&P 500. But Give us some tickers. We like tickers here. Okay, so tickers. And also we love, this. to me it's a great story because it brings together two of my favorite functions. We love on this show, INGO, yep. mm -hmm. shows you all the indexes, Super and it's good. a great search tool, and we love ETFGO. We do love ETF ETFGO. is really good. I know, honestly, it's probably the best. My favorite function at Bloomberg, but in any case, uh, in just the past few weeks, you've had three of these funds launch UDI, T-U-G-N and J-P-R-E. Uh, but there's one that really caught Tuggin. my eye. T-U-G-N <laughs> is a good one. I Tactical like. growth and income ETF. Tickers are fun. But uh, the, the fun that caught my eye, it actually launched in the last two years. It's the J.P. Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF. The reason that I came across this fund, Matt, was because we talked to Brian Lake of J.P. Morgan on the ETF show this week, and we were talking about income funds, super okay. hot, so I decided to try and put some numbers to that. This J.P. Morgan Equity Premium Income Jeppy. Fund, J.E.P.I. It is one of the biggest income funds out there. It's seen inflows of over $5 billion this wow. year for a relatively new fund that doesn't really happen all too often often and it's in the top 10 of equity etf inflows so far this year well income funds seem like they should be sustainable like i, th I think about the etf world your etf world eric but uh, etf world it's very niche -y. you know mm -hmm. whatever is the bright shiny object let's create an etf for that but income funds are universal it mm -hmm. seems to me yeah, and so a lot of this is sort of repackaging the idea, trying to make, you know, just but, following dividends seem exciting. Well, it's but here's the, the key, and Jack Bogle might himself love this. In order to stay on top of um, if an income stocks portfolio, you occasionally have to trade in and out, right? That costs money. Right. A mutual fund would maybe give you a, a little bit less of a cost, but you're still paying the manager. With an ETF, you get the cost down even further. So you're able to have this 
bonds-like return without having to pay the uh, equity trading fees. That is very correct. And that's the pitch, right, from Brian. That's the pitch. So if you look at Jeppy, for example, it's an actively traded ETF, charges just 35 basis points. That's pretty cheap. Uh, But to your point that these are offering bond-like returns, that's sort of the angle that I drilled into into this piece because it sounds really good that you get income without sort of the drama that's going on in the bond market right now. But I was talking to... um, Ben Levine, he's over at 3D Asset Management Group. He was actually also on the ETF show, but I had COVID for that episode. But in any case, (laughs) he made the point that these are sort of equity beta in income clothing. These are not the bonds sort of portfolio diversification sort of layers of your portfolio. Basically, you shouldn't be using this as a substitute for fixed income. And the worry, at least for him and some of the other people I talked to, was that investors will basically. So this is the to be sure paragraph. This is the, I actually made the whole article, the to be sure, because again, you've, this is the shiny object of the moment. You see a lot of issuers chasing this. This is a typical BN construction. They'll have the first, you know, four paragraphs of the story. Investors are switching into ETFs for a turn rather than bonds. And then in the second, after the, uh, after the page, it'll say, to be sure, and then they give you the, which, which is really like, You're but. spilling secrets here, <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> is that but, the Bloomberg way? That uh, is, that is. it's uh, important, though, to introduce a little bit of skepticism here. Of course. These are the high flyers right now, which really speaks to the mood of the market, that just dividend funds are the high flyers right now. But again, these aren't bonds. And if you're looking to diversify your portfolio, I mean, maybe you should still keep bonds in there. You want to be safe. And by the way, I know a crypto fund that'll pay you like 17%. Oh, tell me about that. (laughs) I'm kidding. It crashed. Okay, crashed. All right. So, all right. So, talk to us about like ETF fund flows. Given this first half of the year where, you know, the S&P is down 20 plus percent, bonds are down double digits. How have the ETF flows been? What what have you seen in terms of trends? It's uh, it's brutal out there. Uh, We were actually just talking about it on the uh, 10 a.m. show on BTV. Basically, if you look at where the money went in the first half, uh, SPY, that is the State Street, Spider, S&P 500, the biggest ETF in the world. We all know it. The OG. The (laughs) OG. But it's relatively expensive. It costs 10 basis points. Whereas if you look at uh, Vanguard's answer to SPY, VU, V-O-O, it costs three basis points. So SPY lost about 26. Three three basis points. It's a great question. Uh, Well, Vanguard is special. They have their mutual ownership model they don't really need to make money okay jack bogle like actually manages it from heaven <laughs> that's how that's how they do it keep the call slow yeah <laughs> but in any case you saw maybe 26 billion dollars come out of spy um and about that same... much going into vu right exactly yeah. so perhaps people exiting the market and then trying to come back in we're going into the cheaper products so the vanguard products did pretty well this first half again because they cost absolutely nothing but i mean you saw outflows from broader s p 500 tracking funds that weren't vanguard from high yield funds from financials basically oh, everything this is actually oh, look something at this. oh let me yeah. just i'm just using that uh, etf go function matt and i just saw something that actually is pretty cool Ooh. you know the Year-to-date cash inf- outflows of SPY, $25.5 billion, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then inflows into VU, $25.4 billion. That's like what you just There goes stop. your... You just... Yeah. yeah. I can see it with the I numbers. I wasn't lying to you. You weren't lying to me. You were giving um, us the straight poop there. What I, what I wanted to actually ask Brian Lake last yeah. week and what I want to ask you... That was actually you, this week. 
Oh, it was this Isn't week. That That's nuts? right. It was just Monday. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that maybe we can talk about on our ETF show Wednesday at 1 p.m. Um, is it a good thing to have these two, this duopoly in mm-hmm. ETFs? Because it's like BlackRock and Vanguard are pretty much it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, State Street uh, used to be the solid number three, but they've been uh, sort of straggling in recent years. I can't answer that question. We should ask the next guest. All right, we'll work on it with the big two. Wednesday, 1 p.m. Wall Street time. Yeah. Next week. All right, Katie Greifeld, Cross Asset Reporter, Bloomberg. Well, I'm not just going to say Bloomberg Quick Take. Oh, God, Maybe we have to rewrite that, Eric. Let's switch gears, talk about travel. It's going to be a big travel weekend this weekend. I'm just driving down to the Jersey Shore. No other place I'd rather be, but a lot of people are hopping on planes and trains and automobiles and stuff like that. Let's check in with Alicia Kapoor, Senior Industry Manager at SimilarWeb. Alicia, how busy is it going to be out there? What's the summer going to be like, given some of the travel challenges that are out there? You know, this weekend is really, really busy, and I'm seeing that in person. I'm actually talking to you from Poland, um, where I'm here for Poland. a wedding and a lot of, yeah, Poland. Um, I'm in, nice. I'm not going to pronounce it right, but it's called <laughs> Um So I'm here for a wedding, and a lot of guests cool. are delayed, and we are seeing, just in terms of search volume, that consumers are seeing a lot of cancellations, especially for flights, and search volume for airline cancellations rose between 34 and 61% over the past 28 days, with most searches going to American Airlines. And we're actually seeing that American Airlines has the highest share of traffic to its cancellation pages online. And they've really had a high share of traffic to those cancellation pages since about may and most airlines are seeing increased traffic i think it's really just staffing issues are getting in the way people weren't expecting this resurgence in demand and a lot of people are trying to travel now um maybe before we get into an environment where prices are even more um volatile right i think there's a lot of price sensitivity that's coming into the picture right now Mm. so they're worried about they're worried about coming inflation Yeah, I think people are worried about coming inflation. I was actually talking to a client yesterday that said they're seeing really high bookings for next summer because people are trying to pay with payment plans Mm. or kind of put off the pricing because they can't afford this summer. So, you know, you're in Europe here. We've heard some stories that just some strikes and it's, you know, as bad as this travel is here, it's even worse in Europe. What What are you seeing? Yeah, it's a great question. I was actually in London before this. There was a tube strike. It was a little bit stressful, but we are seeing that bookings in Europe for top brands are declining into June um, with only booking.com actually seeing an increase in daily lodging bookings uh, month over month since May. And that picture is really different in the US. Um, The US we're seeing that all brands are seeing an increase in bookings. So I think you're right. Europe is seeing more struggles than the United States. And unfortunately it is impacting bookings across the board. All right, Alicia, thanks so much. We appreciate that, especially coming from Poland. Enjoy the wedding over there. Be careful of the Russians. Yeah, be careful. You're a little They're right there. there. They're right there. But NATO is right there as well. I got to tell you something. I moved to London about 20 years ago, yep. and I lived there for a few years. Some of the greatest years of my life. Sure. Because it's a great town yep. and because I was young. <laughs> uh, but um, there is literally always a tube strike. Yes, I know. It's a constant thing. <laughs> it's not now or last year. It's not COVID or pre-pandemic. It's just a constant Always a tube strike. And I feel the same thing with like Air France or, you know, Air, you know, Air Italia or something like Lufthansa, that. Lufthansa. Lufthansa. Berlin, Tegel. <laughs> exactly. All right. That's Alicia Kapoor, Senior Industry Manager for Similar Web.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Let's bring in, uh, I think it's fair to say, a friend of the show. We've interviewed Mark Douglas, the president and CEO of Mountain, a number of times. Mountain is a company that builds advertising software for brands. They have something to do with the guy from Deadpool. And um, Mark, I was reading your uh, on your blog, there was a story about, um, I think Melissa Yap wrote a story about um, the, pa- the fact that you can recession-proof your streaming business by offering ads. So we know that um, we've already seen that from Hulu, and now we're expecting to see it from Netflix. Uh, does it not drive away? Do, do consumers not care? About ads, um, yeah. I think consumers have demonstrated that they are willing to basically exchange viewing of ads for a lower price. And so if you look at Hulu, who you mentioned as an example, I mean, it only costs, I think, $2 to avoid advertising on Hulu. And the take rate on that, meaning the number of people who elect that option is actually you know, less than half of the consumers, I think it's as low as like about 25%. So I think consumers have said, you know, that that's a really good trade-off. But then, you know, you want the ad to be entertaining, which is what, you know, Ryan is all about as part of Mountain. So that, that's, that's an important part of it, too. So, Mark, I mean, I'm looking at some of these media names and, boy, the stocks are just getting crushed along with everything else here. One of the challenges, I guess, Mark, is kind of how is this whole streaming business going to shake out? I mean, even our friends at Netflix, stock's down 67% on a trailing 12-month basis. What's the, how, how do you think investors are thinking about just the streaming business? Is it a good business? Um, I think it's an excellent business. And, you know, the thing that's interesting right now is, it's really started to stabilize. Obviously, Netflix and Hulu kind of pioneered streaming itself. And then you saw this kind of steady set of companies enter the business. And that created uncertainty in terms of market share. Who's going to, you know, what services are different consumers going to sign up for? At this point, especially in the U.S., every service that you're going to have available to you is essentially out there. Disney Plus, Peacock, 
Netflix. They're all out there. And I think there's a bit of uncertainty to see where consumers wind up in terms of what are the services that they have in their core diet of viewing. And so that uncertainty is affecting stocks. Netflix has kind of, in some ways, a good problem to have. But obviously, when it comes to stock prices, no problem is great, which is they have so many consumers. I think over 70% market share that it's just hard for them to grow that business in the U.S. And I think the stock has been penalized probably more than it should be for that, you know, for that kind of a problem, which is like everyone's already using our service. <laughs> So, well, the, the, <laughs> the interesting and, thing and to me, so. Mark, is that you, what your business, for example, if you're, uh, you have a B2B piece, uh, right? And, and you're trying to help your companies generate more leads, get more demand by placing their ads in the right places. So you are equally as interested in finding out which services are doing the best to connect with customers as an investor is um, to find out which one is the best bet for the, for the future for sustainability, right? So what are you seeing as the big standout winners here for, for your customers? Well, the, in terms of, in term, well, re- really, let's back up just like the, the way to look at this is that the television advertising market is under monetized. It has more users than social. More people watch television than even than use social um, by, by a small amount. It has three times the engagement. People spend three hours a day or more watching TV, but somehow it has less revenue than the social media market, than social advertising does. So that's an opportunity. Why? Why because less that? hype. Right. Well, this because television been dominated by, you know, just like 5,000 big advertisers, while someone like Meta has a mil- millions of advertisers. So what Mountain does is we're bringing television to every size company. And it, by doing that, we're literally expanding the market for television advertising. And I think if you are an investor looking at streaming, looking at TV, that's what you should be focused on. This market can expand. We can bring more advertising to the market with more hours of engagement and literally expand the market for television advertising. And so Mountain is contributing to that. And I think the future for these media companies and these media stocks are bright as they embrace that that yep. streaming we can now bring all all these new companies into that market all right mark good good stuff as always appreciate you taking the time here on this friday before july 4th long weekend mark douglas president and ceo of mountain thanks for listening to the bloomberg markets podcast you can subscribe and listen to interviews at apple podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.